Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, this is a ripper, this conversation. We have with us today Nikki Warburton, the Chief Marketing Officer at Audi, who many of you may know was at Ozstar until about four or five years ago where she um, disappeared for a while, something to do with children, I think, but she's back and she's in a marketing role now at, at Audi. And of course, lots of things have been happening in, in Nikki's world with someone else called James Warburton taking over Channel 7 in recent weeks. And I guess um, we have to start with the inevitable one, Nikki Warburton, which is given that you've been in media, you've been in television and you're on the marketing side of the fence. Now, what is your view on television and how are you using it at Audi? Give us some thoughts and your husband's new role. Good morning, Paul. Thank you. I thought you might have let me warm up before getting straight into that question. Look, I think from my perspective, television has been with James there or not James there. Television's a really important part of the marketing mix for us at Audi. It still creates a really wonderful way to reach a mass audience and also really emotionally connect with our market. And uh, are you happy with his appointment? Very happy for him. Very happy for him. Well, he's not short of a, a viewer and opinion, so I think it's, <laughs> I think it's time we heard from the real boss, from Nikki Warburton, about her views on things, which we're about to do now. You had a, a, a stellar career at Ozstar for a long time. You did leave. Why did you come back? What, what, and in a marketing role too in, in, with automotive, slightly different to media, I guess. Uh, what were the drivers and what are you seeing? Sure. Well, I think starting way back when, I actually started my career in automotive. So I worked for Astri Automotive for five and a half years. Um, we were the importer for uh, Hyundai, Chrysler Jeep and then Audi. So I feel like I'm back to where I actually started my career. Um, automotive for me is a passion. Where, you know, I love cars and I feel... You know, which now, Audi are you driving, by the way? Chowdy, today I have a Q7, which is a fabulous car, seven it's big, seats. It's family. big, it's big, great for the family, lots of uh, um, space in the boot. And I think that's the lovely thing about working in a car company. If you do love cars, you can drive every single type of car. So it's, yeah, it's pretty exciting. But back to why I've come back in. Look, I think, as you said, I had a fantastic career and a fantastic opportunity at Ozstar. We grew that business to be uh, bought by Foxtel at that time. And for me, that was a really nice, natural, you know, fork in the road. And I thought if there's a time that I'm going to, you know, jump off that treadmill and actually enjoy a different part of my life, that's probably the time to do that. So I jumped on a few boards and decided it was time to focus on spending some time with my children, which I felt I hadn't been able to do, you know, in any form of quality. So did that for a few years, sat on a few boards. I actually also did some work with um, John Porter, the old CEO of Ozstar, who is now running Telenet. Um, out of Belgium. And yeah, and I really enjoyed that time. I must say it gave me a really different perspective and enjoyed it. Then the opportunity come up, came up at Audi and for me, it was just the right time. You, you've come back in. You, how long you've been? You've been out four and a half, five years. You come back in. How long have you been at Audi now? Just one year. And so what have you seen as much as all the noise that goes on in this industry about change and shiny things and technology from the, say, the media landscape and what you're seeing with agencies, anything changed there? Look, I think what, what's changed for me is just the pressure on marketers. I think the role for marketing has changed and I think the landscape's changed. You know, there's been a lot more fragmentation. Social and digital play a much greater role in the marketing mix. So there's been a significant change there. I think customers, to me, I know it's only been five years, but they seem to be less loyal 
you know, there's this instant economy where everything's got to be at your fingertips. You've got to have everything now. Probably just isn't that same level of brand loyalty and brand connection as perhaps there was back when we were coming through brands. What does that mean, Nikki, in terms of how brands are, are supposed to counter that? What do you see the path through it? Well, for me, I just think customers have a much greater control, you know, so it's no longer sitting back and developing a brand strategy and playing it out in market and hoping that's the way it'll be interpreted. I think customers are now defining a lot more about what they expect from brands and also how they're interacting with brands, you know, what their expectations are, even from a content creation point of view, there's a lot more consumer created content. Um, So I think it's no longer about a marketer owning a customer or anyone owning a customer, we've just got to ensure that we've got agility and we can adapt to these changing changing market conditions. Another trend for me that, you know, I noticed coming back in is the tenure of the CMO. Certainly either it wasn't on the agenda back then or it, it's had a heightened awareness. But, you know, my memory was the tenure was, you know, over five years of a CMO for, for many, many years. Um, and to see that now at two and a half years should be quite a concern for the industry. Well, you've written a piece actually for MI3 on this about the tenure of the CMO and how, you know, whether that responsibility is about the C-suite understanding what marketing brings to it. So how much of it is the capabilities of the CMO not up to scratch to impress the C-suite versus the C-suite not getting understanding what it is that they want from marketing and treating it like they do some other C-suite functions, whether it be finance or tech? Look, it's a, it's a really hard one. And I think, you know, I'm sure there's, lo- the, as you say, there's lots of debate and everyone will have a different point of view depending upon what business you're in and what business pressures you're facing. But I think for me, it's an opportunity for the industry to come together and really raise the kind of more strategic profile of us as a collective. There's lots of debate out there about, you know, agencies of this or media owners should do more of this. So, but at the end of the day, there should be a, a bigger strategic focus, I think, around the role of marketing as a, as a whole and how we can kind of elevate the value of marketing back into businesses and how marketing can ultimately drive growth for companies. But I think for me, the challenge is if you've got a CMO tenure of two and a half years, being under the pressure of this kind of short-term focus, you know, maybe that's what is driving this short-termism, I suppose. So, you know, we all know that brands, you know, highly valued brands can deliver long-term growth and are seen as an asset. But if you've got this constant change, and we all know that a lot of the time when a CMO changes, then an agency ultimately changes. So you just lose this consistency of the of the brand message. What you're talking about now as a marketer today at Audi versus what you talked about as a marketer at Ozstar and then way back in, in the Hyundai days, what's changed now? What is, what is expected of you now as a CMO from your C-suite colleagues that might be different to what it was even five years ago? Is there a difference? Definitely. I think whether that's the difference from the industry or the difference as I've grown through my roles, but look, I think there is definitely a much clearer responsibility on the marketing team to drive growth, both short and long-term growth. I also think it's understanding the customer journey more holistically. Way back when it was, oh, we just do, do these DM campaigns to customers to get them to come back. Now there's a, there's a lot more sophistication about the customer journey, how digital and MarTech kind of fits into that. But I think then there's also a much greater pressure on the marketer because of fragmentation around results. So I, look, I don't think the change is necessarily bad. I think though the change is just that we've all got to work together more collectively to demonstrate that value and that ROI back to businesses. It must be harder though for you to, in short-term results and performance media and performance marketing, you can show, okay, we, we got, here's the impact. We can see it straight away. 
How do you go in, in articulating that longer-term brand-building uh, strategy and how it has a positive impact on, on the business, but it might take a while to kick in? What happens in the conversations you have with your, with your C-suite? Look, Audi as a as a brand globally is is you know a, a magnificent brand, very high, strong, clear values globally. So, from a brand point of view, I suppose those conversations aren't as difficult to have. But it's being very clear about you don't want to just become a brand marketer or a retail marketer. I suppose is where I'm coming from. You've got to be a lot more holistic in your approach. So we we look at lots of different brand health measures. And I think there's an acknowledgement that anything around brand health will take time. And I think if that's really clearly defined, then you can actually start to build your, um, you know, your levels of accountability and your RRI business cases around that. I'm certainly not saying there's not a role for short-term sales. Of course there is. You know, no one will have jobs if we're not focusing on that. But it's just ensuring you've got that right balance. And I think that's been a significant change. I think the other significant change for me is that marketing has a much greater role on what I might call internal marketing or culture. If you can't clearly articulate and define that strategy internally, how can you ever have that as a single source truth externally? So it's really making sure that that experience, you know, matches both internal and external. There are some people who would argue that the uh, issue around brand building and longer term needs new metrics and needs new connections to business outcomes. And the attributes we attribute to brand health are still a bit fuzzy for, for you know, the hard-nosed numbers people and the strategic and product people. Do you think we need some new metrics to get that brand and long-term positioning and thinking into a direct result to this is what it did to the business and this is how it helped grow? Is there a way to do that? Do you see any way through that? Look, I think it's it's all about building these econometric models. You know, I think there's there's definitely ways to do it. I think the challenge is depending upon what the measures are internally and and for us globally. So there's definitely one there's definitely measures around brand health that are important from a global brand brand consistency point of view. Um, but you're right, they've got to be measures back to, you know, I think more financial based measures, more, you know, well what impact will this have on revenue? If we can if we can move this metric to from here to here, what, rev- what additional revenue will we generate, as, as one example, or what additional um, margin per car sale will we generate? So I, I think that they go hand in hand, but I think it's really trying to clearly define how quickly or not you may be able to move those measures. And working across the business to ensure that everyone agrees that they are the right measures and everyone agrees that with a single-minded focus that they're the four or five things we absolutely need to focus on because I think it is the power of the C-suite. It's not just one person. What are those measures? What do they look like for you or what do you think they should be when you talk about those four or five measures? We've got quite a, a host of measures that we look at from, as you say, some more of brand health that we measure against customers. We do a lot of experiential type marketing getting customers to drive cars and going on drive days and feeling the brand, I suppose, in a different way. And what we measure from that is how many cars we're selling out of those. Well, as soon as you say that with the experiential stuff, so you can see over a two-year track record, you can see who's coming back as a return customer, who's buying, who's referred, all those things come into come into play? Absolutely. If we go to this brand building conversation um, in the auto sector, so it's very tough in the auto market, right? We, we, we see the numbers, we see the VFAX and it's... it's, it's um, it's a it's a challenging time to start having a long term brand building conversation when the market's are uh, doing it tough and 
and autos across the board are doing it tough in terms of sales. So um, tell us a little bit about what's going on for you in the auto category and marketing and what you're doing with Audi at the moment. I know you're a year in, it's still early, I think, but what's happened so far? The starting point for me was really trying to get a, you know, get to the single source truth for the brand and really understand strategically how we can drive the brand Audi here in Australia, but also acknowledging that we have a really strong global brand and working with global in terms of how, you know, we, we need to be true to the global brand, but also be much more relevant to the Australian market. So um, for me, it's about what we've been working on, certainly in my time over the last 12 months is really repositioning the brand for growth. And for us, that's all about reigniting the story of progress, both internally and externally. Our feeling is that, you know, we're going to see more change in the next 10 years in automotive than we've we've had in the last 100, which is actually really exciting and really refreshing. I'm tired thinking about it, Nikki. <laughs> I haven't asked you what you drive yet, but we'll leave that one. Um, but I think for us, we, you know, we're going through this change. We're going to be embracing the challenge of electric vehicles, you know, over the next few years. Um, autonomous driving will, will come down the pipe at some point. And then really the bigger picture, and that's, you know, what mobility is going to mean for the urbanisation of the future. So there's some really significant strategic changes that are going to be um, tackled as an industry and in this industry. And I think that's really exciting. But for us, it's being about trying to really get to a core understanding of this this brand and this business. But what do you want the Audi brand to be in the market and what are you uh, what are your customers and what are the people telling you the Audi brand is is there is there a gap there of where you want to be versus where it is? There's definitely an opportunity to connect and be more relevant in the Australian market. I think the, a lot of feedback we get is that it's an amazing brand. The car, the design of the cars is spectacular. The technology is second to none. But I think it's a point in time for us. We're just about to roll out the youngest fleet we'll have in the, in really over the next seven months. We're going to whole new models, whole, whole new models set, right. of pretty much across the board. Right. So, and that's why I think it's so important to kind of set set ourselves up ready for that growth. So. Up until now, I think going back to the point about, you know, change, whenever a brand changes, there's a lack of consistency in, in what brands can, can sometimes stand for. So we've done a lot of work around that tone of voice. And, and for me, it's that luxury can raise a smile. So not so serious and, and, and conservative about, the, about who they are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just having a little bit, bit of fun with the brand. It's not silly. It's definitely not silly. It's not slapstick. But it's, you know, as we've articulated, that luxury can raise a smile. So before I let you go, I'm going to get you on some um, some hot themes in the industry I want Nikki Warburton's views on. Three themes I want to ask you on quick fire questions or answers on. Let's start with MarTech first because it's um, in, in the US, according to Forrester, it's the single biggest budget item for marketers uh, ahead of media, paid media and agencies now. 28% of the US of a marketer's budget's going to MarTech. There is some frustration with marketers around implementing some of this stuff and what's on the packaging may not deliver as easily as what it's, it's been sold. But what's your take on Martic and what does it represent in terms of your, your spend and uh, resource? Look, it's nothing like 28%. Um, it's much smaller than that. But look, for me, I think Martech is absolutely important. It is just making sure once again, you know what its purpose is. You know what you're expecting that it's going to actually deliver. Um, what value it's going to add before going and investing and, you know, how you're truly going to measure its success, just like any other marketing investment. But I think MarTech alone is not going to create that point of difference or that emotional connection with our customers to, to go and spend fifty to $150,000 on, on a car. Okay, next one is agency. So, yes, in, um, so your, your sense on where the agency model is at now because you've 
been working with them for a long time. Coming back, what do you see going on? There's a lot of pressure on that sector. There's a lot of pressure on that sector. Look, what I see coming back is that the role of the agency is being challenged. I think the the current model has been around as long as I, from the start of my career. I, I don't see the traditional model has changed dramatically. I think people are trying to change it. Uh, and I think we'll see that continue to be challenged over the next five years. I think the agencies that are changing, whether that be moving to more project-based fees, whether that be, um, you know, having a bit more skin in the game in terms of being more results-focused or linking their KPIs to the results of, of their business partners. But but in terms of a dramatic structural change, I don't think we've seen that yet. It's coming, do you think? I think it is. I think the agencies that, that are um, willing to make that change, but look, it's hard. It, that's the way they've built their businesses. Mm. You know, let's, let's just fast track, not to yeah. now, but in three years' time. What do you want your agency partner? Look, I think it's it's a, it's a that. It's a partnership. I think it's, it's a true partnership. And I think where agencies add so much value that perhaps we don't, you know, necessarily have the skill set in is creativity that drives growth. You know, and I think we know that if you can tap into something really emotional, and I'm not just talking about a, a TV ad or a radio campaign, but I think a collective creative solution to a problem, we know that, that there's a lot of value that can be added there for brands and businesses. And I think we've gone away from talking about creative and its effectiveness and we're talking about is a pitch necessary? Is there a better model? You know, we're kind of challenging the structure and the more tactical-based things, but I think there's a broader strategic um, you know, debate that can be had, I think, about how can we all come together and ensure that we're really driving, you know, creative excellence that leads to results. And that's the creative side. There's a media as well. And the pushback from agencies is a couple of themes they'll talk about towards the clients and they won't necessarily say it publicly, but they'll talk about it. One is, is the demand for demonstrating better business outcomes for both through for, for the marketing team and agencies and partners they're frustrated that they don't get access to the data that can show them what are we doing that has actually had a business impact. The second thing is the fees. In, in many instances, it's just about uh, inefficiency and, and low cost play, play as opposed to a strategic and value add from their agency partners. Top line thinking on that. Look, I think if we want true partnerships, we've got to be able to disclose the right level of information and trust those partnerships. So that's my point of view on that. I, I, I'm not sure how widespread that that view is, but I think we can't expect people to part, truly partner with us in, us in driving growth if we're not being totally transparent in where the business is at and where we want the business to go. Um, and I think that's really an opportunity in rebuilding these partnerships back. You know, I think I think for me they were there, you know, to a degree and may, maybe that was just the relationship I, I had at the time with my agency. I feel like it kind of drifted off a bit and, you know, there's been other focuses and I think there's an opportunity for, for you know, that true partnership and, and that, that trust and building, you know, having one common goal and everybody heading in that same direction could actually be quite powerful. And I think the challenge is that for them, I, I appreciate the, the change for them, which is you've got all these consultancy companies coming in and, you know, stripping out costs and, you know, we've got to drive better efficiencies and, and we've got to do all of these things. But it, it's about showing the value of what we as a collective can can add to um, this industry. Media mix. Now, how much time as a CMO 
do you spend on media and communications versus the broader marketing remit? Some I've spoken to in banking and so forth say it's somewhere between 5 and 15% of their time they're spending on on the media side of their, their activities uh, and the communication side. For you, where does it sit? What's your, how, where's your time allocation for, for the different parts of the marketing remit? Going back to our earlier conversation, which is the role of marketing has changed and expanded so much, that percentage is probably correct. Um, is that the right percentage? I'm not sure, but I think in the, in the scope of everything else we, we've got to focus on. Yeah, it's an opportunity. It, it probably does come back on us a bit more to push that agenda. Um, but I think it depends on, you know, how close your relationship is with your media agency and how well they know your targets and your customers and what you're actually trying to do. So if you're sitting that 5 to 15% bracket for time on media and communications, what are the other big chunks for you in your in your day, your week, your month uh, as, a, as a CMO? Look, I think, as I said, there's a, there's a lot more around people and commu- internal communications, definitely. For me, it's the dealer network and actually working with our, with our dealer groups. It's creative agencies, it's social, digital, it's Germany. I mean, it's just quite a broad array of responsibility. But I think it's all of those pieces that come together and that's really the role of the CMO. And the final one is the mix. So in the next couple of, uh, next 12 months, uh, what has happened to your media mix? Where is that headed in your your allocations? The brand and performance-based media for us at the moment is working the best. But as I said before, it really depends on what layer in our in our model we're looking at. So for things that whereby we're building, you know, more longer term or long tail type results, our mix is slightly different. And we've done a lot more in out of home for that because it's really relevant to our audience. You know, we're, they're, 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 they travel a lot. So they're at airports or they're driving, you know, around or they're working in the cities, et cetera. So we've, we've seen a lot more of, of of that media come into our mix. Um, obviously for us, social and, you know, and digital media is really important for probably more short-term and retail type campaigns and, and fast to market and that test and learn and adapting kind kind of environment. But what we actually see is when we've got the power of all of those things working really well together. So, you know, that we do have this long-term focus in some for some of our models or products or our brand messaging, but then we've also got this kind of layer of always on retailing that, that continues to ensure that we're always being considered. So this rule of thumb from Peter Field and Les Benet that talk about the 60-40 ratio of budget for brand, uh, 60 for brand building long-term, 40% for performance, where would you sit in that in that sort of spectrum? Look, I think we are now probably 60-40 the other way. Right. So, but certainly heading in the right direction. But so you're looking to shift that a little? We, we are, but it, it's not just, you know, yes, there's the brand and then there's the retail, definitely. For me, what we, we don't always measure is that overlap in the middle. So I don't know if it's ever a perfect split, but we also do a lot more that, that wouldn't be factored into that 60-40 around the experiential at that kind of experiential level and customer loyalty and repeat purchase. And that's something for me over the last 12 months we've been a lot more focused on and I think that that's a major opportunity for, for us as an automotive brand that really wants to connect with our customers and Australia as we move forward for the next two to three years. Well, I'm looking forward to the next couple of months when Audi starts to hit the market with this, these, these new ranges and we see Nikki Warburton's work. Nikki, great to talk and look forward to a, a, a post-mortem maybe at the end of the year about what's happened since. And for the record, uh, I drive a ute. There you go. <laughs> we don't make those, so that's okay. You're okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can go to 
mi-3.com.au to see all the insightful content from people like Nikki Warburton and other CMOs, and we'll see you next week. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button to get a free notification every time we release a new episode.